Well, we're in a series right now, uh, Forward in Faith, as we're talking about our faith. Uh, we're going to spend some time here in the book of James. And so uh, if you would want to turn there, uh, we're going to be in James chapter, the end of James chapter 1 today. Uh, that's on page 854 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. Uh, but just quickly, I'll, I'll kind of go where we've been, right? We've, we've talked in these first few weeks of talking about our first two weeks of talking about our faith as seen in James. We've seen two characteristics of faith. The first is that faith perseveres. All right, week one, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of many kinds. That's James chapter one there. I'm still, I hope you are as well, trying to wrap your head around consider it joy when you go through trials. But I'm trying to remind myself that if the goal of this trial is God, if the goal is to see God and to grow closer to God, then, then joy can come even in the midst of this trial, right? I, I hope you hope you heard that from me, that joy comes in trials when we seek God and when we know that God can move in our trials. And so uh, our, our first characteristic of faith in James is that faith perseveres. Faith perseveres, even in the hard times, even in the trials, even in the temptations, faith perseveres. Last week we talked about... Uh, <coughs> Sorry, last week uh, we talked about a faith that obeys, right? Not a faith that just listens. Uh, James chapter one says, "Don't just don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says." All right, if you if you just listen to the word and and don't do what it says, it's like if you were to look into a mirror and then forget what you looked like when you walked away. All right, this is this this ridiculous analogy that James gives, but we want to be want to be doers of the word, obeying what God is calling us to do in His Word. We need to to approach Scripture and and listen to what God has to say to us, and not just not just listen to it for a head knowledge, but listen to it for our own lives to say this is this is the way I want to live now. This is the way that God is calling me to live. I'm going to do it. All right, faith perseveres. Faith obeys. We're going to talk about a faith this morning. Faith, the third characteristic we're going to talk about is a faith that loves. A faith that loves. We're going to, we're going to start in the, in the back half, or the last two verses of James chapter 1. Uh, but James talks about this, this, this religion, he calls it. And uh, I want to read you this, this quote this morning from, uh, from a philosopher, theologian, Soren Kierkegaard. He says this, The human race in course of time has taken the liberty of softening and softening Christianity until at last we have contrived to make it exactly the opposite of what is in the New Testament. I want to read this again. I just want you to to hear these words. The human race, in course of time, has taken the liberty of softening and softening Christianity until at last we have contrived to make it exactly the opposite of what it is in the New Testament. As I was thinking about this week, and particularly the next two weeks of this series, this quote kept kind of ringing back in my ears. Because I think James is, is calling us in, in this chapter, chapter 2, to, to really kind of come to this place of faith where, where we're not doing it on our own terms anymore. Right, well, well, I don't necessarily agree fully with Kierkegaard here. Right? There's, there's, there's pieces, yeah, absolutely. I think we have softened Christianity a lot from what it was in the New Testament. I think we've done so to fit our lifestyles, to fit our preferences, to fit all these different things. I think we've done that for sure. But I think James is going to challenge us over the next two weeks to see faith and to see, to see actually living out our faith in a new way that is not our preference-driven, our 
lifestyle driven, but is driven only by God and his direction in our lives. I think, I think these next two weeks probably have a, have, a, have a good chance to kind of like upend us a little bit as we talk about this. All right, because the, the problem is this, because while our faith to be true and authentic, we have to do it on God's terms and not on our own terms. In order for our faith to be true and authentic, it's got to be what God desires. We need to surrender ourselves to what God desires for our lives, where, what he wants for our lives, what he's calling us to do. And we're going to see, especially over the next two weeks in particular, that, that this is a call to do just this. And so James chapter 1, we're starting in the, the backside of James chapter 1, <clears throat> starting at verse 26. This is where we left off last week. Verse 26, those who, do, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight ring on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is, not the, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak, as, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James, in, the, in these last two verses of chapter 1, uses the word uh, religion. And this word uh, has come to, especially in recent years, have kind of a not-so-good connotation. Right? We, we think of religion and we think of it as uh, just a list of things to do and things to not do. And we think of, uh, it's not, we, we even talk, you might have heard a sermon or two on, on relationship and not religion, Right? So maybe you've heard that one. I, I've heard that one quite a few times, right? I, I think, but I, I was reading this morning even. I was looking this up a little bit. And, and on Gallup, Gallup is a, is a pollster company. And they, uh, they've done these polls for the last 25 years about religion. And I found it really interesting to see what people thought about religion, right? Just in how it's progressed, right? Is religion important to you? Not very important. In 1992, 12% of people said religion was not very important to them. In 2016, the last time they did this, 25% of people said religion was not very important to them. 
Recently, people said that, that religion was 75% of people said that religion was losing influence in the world. Is, is religion relevant or out of date? In, in 1992, 20% of people said that religion was out of date. Today, 33, 33% of people say religion is out of date. Do you have confidence <coughs> excuse me, in organized religion? In 1992, 7% of people said we have very little confidence in organized religion. In 2016, the full 25% of people said they have very little confidence in organized religion. Right, religion is, is coming to be one of these words that people just have a bad connotation about. Right? We talk about what religion are you, and people already begin to think of, of different things, or, or these, these lists of do's and of don'ts. And, and James, though, uses re- the word religion here in a different sense. For James, religion is faith lived out. For James, religion is described as faith in action, faith that is pure and faultless and accepted before God. This is, the, this is the kind of religion that James is talking about here. James is not just talking about a list of do's and don'ts here. And when he's talking about religion, he's talking about it not in the, in the context of what we would think and what we would hear in our 2017 minds here in America, right? We, we think of religion as... Or, not, maybe not us in this room, but there's a, there's a negative connotation of religion to say that religion is just a list of do's and of don'ts. This is not what James is saying here. James is, 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 is using religion here as a word to say this is what faith looks like in action. Right? We've already talked in James chapter 1 right, about faith in action. Right? Don't just be a listener. Be a doer of the word. James is expectant of believers, who, people who believe in Jesus Christ, to live this out. And this is the way that this is this is the way that our faith should be lived out, according to James. Right? And again, I'll say this again, like I said in week one, <clears throat> it would be easy to read James and see it through the eyes of what what now is religion, through this list of do's and of don'ts. This is the way we need to do things. This is what we don't do. It would be easy to look at James and be like, well, religion, it makes a lot of sense that we're talking about religion here because James is just giving us the list of things to do. But James isn't just giving us a list of things to do. James is saying, as people who believe in Jesus Christ, this is the way that we should live. This isn't isn't out of a duty. We don't do these things out of duty. We don't do these things just because we have to. We do these things out of love for God and out out of love for Jesus Christ, out of our belief in Jesus Christ. This is why we do these things. And here's what he says. I think just in these last two verses of chapter 1, I think there's, there's really three marks of this true religion that James is talking about here, right? The first mark is a controlled tongue. A controlled tongue. Now, we're going we're gonna to dive into to the tongue when we get to chapter 3. We're going to just dive straight in. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning. But just verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and, do not, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Now this is another one of those points where you look at James and you're like, James, how do you really feel, right? How, James, what do you, tell us what you really think. Those who, those who say they believe, those who consider themselves religious and do not yet keep a tight ring on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless, right? James talks a lot about the tongue. He talks a lot about the way that we talk in this book, right? He's already talked about it in chapter one. We've already seen, you know, be slow to speak, 
right? Quick to listen and slow to speak, right? He talks about it again later on. And we're going we're gonna to camp here for a, for a bit in chapter 3, but here's what I want you to keep in mind. James leans really heavily in this book on the words of Jesus in the Gospels. He leans really heavily on the teachings of Jesus that we find in the Gospels. James isn't really saying anything new in this book. He's just put it all in one place. Right? For a church that is scattered, for a church that's being persecuted, for a church that has been, been spread out, he's giving basically like, here's the, here's the laundry list, here's the short list of things right here. Keep your hope in Christ. This is the way that we should live. This is, but all of these things are based out of Jesus' teachings in the Gospels. So what does Jesus say about our tongues? I think one of the, uh, one of the most uh, notable times that Jesus talks about the tongue, talks about the way that we speak, is in Matthew chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it real quick. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. There's one version that I just love. It says, From the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks. This is, these, are, these are red letters in a row. This is what Jesus is saying about our, about our tongues, about the way that we speak to one another. Out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. There's, there's a picture here that, that if, you, if you don't have control over your mouth, there's a picture there that, that tells us a little bit about the condition of your heart and faith. If you can't control your tongue, if you can't control what you're saying, then, then it's a picture of, of your heart. When we speak, it tells the truth about what's in our hearts. Right? When we speak to our family, when we speak to our friends, when we speak to our, our co-workers, right? when we speak about other people, when we, it exposes the realities that are within ourselves. Just, the, just listen to the words that you use this week. Whether you're talking to family or about family or, or talking about sports or whatever. Listen to the words that you use. And think about them in this way. Think about them in regards to your faith. Man, the way that I'm speaking is it's just not kind. The way that I'm speaking is not, I'm not speaking out of love. I, there must be something in here. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. James, for the, the tongue is really the, or a, I shouldn't say the great test, but it's a great test of your faith. How am I doing and how are you doing in your faith? Well, listen to how you're speaking. Are you encouraging one another? Are you, are you loving one another? Are you kind to one another? Are you gracious to one another? And, and I want to be careful because it's not the, not the only indicator here, right? But, but our tongue, often we, we write checks with our tongue that our actions cannot cash. All right, we, we say things and we, we talk about things, but our actions don't follow them up. And so we're not... And now, now today, it's almost interesting, right? We're, we're encouraged so much today to, on social media or whatever to just say anything whenever, right? I'm going to the store, checked in at Vaughn's on Clovis and Fowler, bam, right? I, I, everybody knows where I am. Everybody knows what I think about, about anything, right? If something happens on the news and you go to your social media page and it's filled of people spouting out what they think about that. Or, or saying articles to refute this or to refute that or to, to put their tinfoil hats on about this thing or that thing, right? It's, think, about, think about what we say. It's not just about what we say verbally, right? But, but even in our social media, even in what we, what we post online, there's a lot there. 
that we need to keep a tight rein on. What are you posting? What are you saying? What are you texting to other people? What are you emailing other people, right? All of this stuff goes into this. I think all of that stuff can be a great test to our faith, to see how we're doing in our faith. Go back to James 1 with me. Because the second thing is this. So the, the first thing, right, we, we control our speech. I think that's the first thing that James is saying here. Here's the second thing. <clears throat> Sorry. Let's read verse 27 together first. It says this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I think this verse right here is the other two that James is saying here. How do we, how do we, how do, we do this? What are three marks of true religion, right? We've got the first one, keep, keep a rein on your tongue, control your tongue. The second two are right here, I think. And, and I love that they're put together because oftentimes they're separated. Right? If you read this verse, here's, here's what there is. There's, there's practical compassion, right? Look after the orphans. Look after the widows. There's practical compassion here. But there's also this, this self-purity that we're, that we're taught to do here. Right? Practical compassion and personal purity. Oftentimes we separate them. And sometimes they're even politicized. Right? We think of, of the left as, as the people who are showing compassion, social, social justice warriors. Right? And we think of people on the... Sorry, this is your right, right? my left. But we think of people on the right as people who are just all about me, all about what I believe and, and my beliefs. I can do this, I can do that. And, and we see this kind of played out in our politics a little bit. But I love here that James puts these together. Right? We need practical compassion as well as personal purity. We need both of them together. You cannot have one without the other and have a faith that is, that is pleasing to God. Right? You cannot have a faith that is willing to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to help those in need, but I'm not going to keep tabs on what, what is in here. And we cannot have a faith that, that at one point is saying, all I'm doing is I'm just making sure this is a personal thing between me and God. I, I'm just going to make sure I'm right in my heart and totally ignore the people that are in need right across the street from us. We cannot have one without the other. We need to have both. And James says this, right? That these last two things, the, the second thing is this, to, to care for those in need. To look after the orphans and the widows. This word to look after literally means to, to, <clears throat> to go visit. To seek someone out. And not just to say hi, but to, to, to deeply invest in who they are and to how they're doing. This is what it means when he's saying this. This, this, this language here is, is much deeper than, than our English language can go in Greek, right? He basically says, look after the orphans and the widows. Care for these people. Love these people. Invest in these people. And here's why that was so important, because in that time, there's not life insurance. There's nothing like that. And so, so this, this widow who's just lost her husband, she literally has nothing. Because women couldn't really have possessions at this point either. They're lost. They're done. They're, they have literally nothing. And James is calling Christians to say, hey, we need to step in right here. Here's, here are people in need. This is your responsibility to do this. We are called to look after the people in need. Right? And we need to, to do this sacrificially. Right? We need to do this not out of our, not out of our overflow, but out of just within us. Right? 
And here's the, yeah, the, I just think there's, there's <clears throat> sometimes I think we struggle with that. And we in the church have an obligation to meet those needs. We cannot neglect people in need. But here's the third thing. We need to clear separation from, as James says, the world. Right? The world is a term that we use in Scripture. Right? The clear separation from the world. We see this in other places as well. Romans 12, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Later on in James chapter 4, verse 4, here's what he says. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? James is kind of setting up this theme here in his book between the ways of the world and the ways of God and how we choose to live. See, oftentimes, here's what we do. We, We look at the ways of the world and we look at the ways of God and we think, man, some of these ways of God over here are just, they're they're so far over here. And some of these ways of the world just, they're so fun. They're so cool. Yeah, and so sometimes what we do is we try and, we try and get as close to the line as we can. And we toe the line to say, well, I'm not, I'm not so much in the world that you can say I'm of the world. Right? But I'm not necessarily so far away that you can't tell that I'm not of the world. Right? We want to be as close as we can. We want to toe the line. And why, why do we do that? Well, we want to belong. We want, we want our friends to think that we belong. We want, we want everybody to think like, hey, I'm in this just like you are. And we are in this just like they are. Right? But we want, to, we want to belong. We want to just be with everyone instead of taking a step back and saying, no, this is, this, is a, this is not where I need to be. This is what God is calling me to back here. I want to stay as far away from this line as possible. There needs to be a clear separation here. Here's what he says. And Keep after the orphans and the widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's almost the same language as, as Romans 12. Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I think as, as he goes on, remember in, when this was written, there wasn't like chapter 2, there wasn't the, 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 the subtitle here, favoritism forbidden, right? There was none of that. This was just a straight letter to these people. And so I think he goes on here in chapter 2, my brothers and sisters, believers in, in, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. Right? He goes on to talk about how, how, we can, how we can help those in need, how we can, how we can keep ourselves pure. I think, I think <clears throat> there's some things that if we, that we do this, right? There's some things that, that he talks about here. That we need to be as Christians, that we need to do as Christians, that we, the, and, and what makes us different from the world? What is it that, that keeps us from being polluted from the world? What do we need to keep in mind, in our minds, to, to not be polluted by the world? Right here, I think the first thing is this. We need, to, we need to remember to be, or we need to just be captivated by the glory of God. We need to just see the glory of God. Look at, how, look at how James addresses it here. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He only says this twice in the whole book. He only even talks about, mentions Jesus twice in the whole book. Right, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus. He's reminding them who they are. Who are you? I, I'm, a, I'm a believer. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. 
right? to, to, to keep ourselves separate, to keep ourselves. We need to be reminded of, of, of the glory of God. We need to be captivated by the glory of God. And if we are captivated by the glory of God, it changes who we are. It changes the way that we think about other people. It changes everything when we're captivated by the glory of God. When we see God for who he is and we begin to understand what he's done for, our, for us and what, we begin to understand that this same God who created everything in the whole world, who created the universe, created the stars, breathed the stars into existence, this same God made you and made you and calls you son and calls you daughter, this same God we can be captivated by the glory of God. We can just look outside and, and look at the trees and look at the sun and be like, man, God, you made this. And who are we at that point when we understand, we begin to just look at who God is. Who are we to go our own way and do our own thing? Who are we to say that we know better about our own lives? God made us. God created us. And he's calling us in certain ways. We need to be captivated by the glory of God. We also need to be just gripped by the grace of God. All right, chapter, verse 5 in chapter 2. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Right, this is the grace of God in action. Here's how the grace of God works. The grace of God does not care how rich you are it doesn't care how put together you are. It doesn't care if you have a great job and a great family. It doesn't care if you've done all the right things your whole entire life. The grace of God is for all people. And the grace of God is free to all people as long as they accept it. This is grace. This is, this is the nature of grace. And when we're captivated by, this, captivated by this grace of God, we begin to look at people differently. Right? There, you cannot show favoritism when you realize that, that all people are created in the image of God, that all people are, 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 are under the grace of God, that all people can be equal with us as, as long as they accept the grace of God. All this, this, this gospel is not just for you and for me. It's not just for the people who sit in church on Sunday mornings. This gospel is for all people. That, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. This gospel is, is for all people. When we're captivated by this, I think we, we stop to try and, and toe the line. And we begin to think, man, how can I show, how can I show people the love of God? How can I show people the grace of God? How can, I, how, can I, how can I tell people my story? They need to know about this grace. They need to know about this God that I know. They need to know. They need to know. And here's the, the third thing. I, I'm skipping over some stuff here, but I, I, the last thing is this. As people, we need to be a reflection of the mercy of Christ. We need to be a reflection of the mercy of Christ. I love this last verse here that we read this morning. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you've accepted Christ in this place this morning, 
you have been shown mercy. Our sins, the, the, the penalty for our sins is death. But Jesus came and he, he died. He lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserved to die so that we could live eternally with him forever. Amen. This is mercy. And we have received this mercy. If you, if you know Jesus Christ in this place, you have received this mercy. And as people who have received mercy, we need to be able to show mercy. We need to be able to show mercy. We need to be able to, to show this. If you really keep the way of law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing it right. Show mercy. And if we don't extend the mercy, I think here's what this, this demonstrates. I think if we don't extend mercy that we've been given, I think it demonstrates that we haven't truly received the mercy. If you're unable to give mercy, then maybe you need to come to grips a little bit with the mercy that was given to you. Show mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Here's the, here's the bottom line this morning. is that this faith that we are called to have, this faith that, that takes care of those in need, this faith that, that keeps a control on our tongues, this faith that, that keeps ourselves pure, this is a faith that loves. This is a faith that is characterized by love, that it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been. We show mercy. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, who you did it with. It doesn't matter. We show grace. Because this is the character of the God that we call Father. And so we hand it out. Freely you are given. Freely receive. Faith loves. Yeah, sometimes we... I think we lose track of these things. We look at this idea of serving those in need. We look at this idea of, of you know, that one particular, keep serving people in need, and we think that's for, that's for those who are called to that. That's for those people who, who just have a heart for that. People with, you know, servant's heart, or people with, you know, they have gifting towards that area. I, I have news for you this morning. This can be good news or bad news, depending on how you take this. You are called to serve those in need. Whether you feel like you're gifted or not, you are called to do it. Why? Because we have a faith that calls us to love. And no one in the universe is outside of the love of God. We don't get to pick and choose who gets in. We don't get to pick and choose who we love. We get to, to go out and love unconditionally the way that God loves us. So this week, I want, you to, I want you to think about this. I want you to really do two things this week. First, listen to your self-talk. Listen to your self-talk. We're going to talk about the, the power of words in chapter 3, which is going to be in a couple weeks. But listen to your self-talk this week and, and see how this, how this reflects on your faith. Just listen to yourself. And the second thing is this. Who can I serve? Who can I serve? Who can I find? Who can, who can I serve? Who, who's in need right now and how can I help? 
It seems to be a question in our minds all the time. Who can I, who can I serve? Who can I help? Because true religion is this, to keep after, to, to watch after, to look after the orphans and the widows and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Faith loves. Faith loves. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we are thankful for you in this place, God. God, my prayer this morning is that we would be people who love, that we would be people who, who don't show favoritism, that we would be people who, who, who are so captivated by your grace and by your glory that we would just go out and, and, and just show to the world who you are. God, oftentimes it's a scary thought because we think we have to say something. We think we have to, to, to talk to people, God. But our, our actions are, speak just as loud as our words, God. We just go out and live for you this week. Will our lives make a difference for you this week as we go? God, we love you. We give you thanks. We give you praise in this place. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you stand with me this morning? <clears throat> As you go, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. Uh, but before I do that, I just want to remind you, just in a couple minutes, maybe three or four minutes, uh, we're going to gather up here in the front. Those who, those who want to come and pray, we're going to do some anointing up here in the front. So uh, I encourage you to come if you, if you would like to. So let me pray this prayer of blessing over you. May the God of love and of peace and of grace and of mercy remind you of his grace and remind you of his love and remind you of his mercy this week that you would go out and make a difference for him wherever you may find yourself. Go in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.